0: Hello there. Uh, if you're just checking us out online or you're, you're just walking in the room, my name's Joe. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and I lead our middle school and high school ministry. And uh, I get the privilege of continuing in our series, The Theory of More. But before I do, can I just, I'm gonna give you a little quick peek under the hood here. Uh, whenever you have someone who sits in this chair or has the microphone, there's this inherent like temptation to want to be noticed. and and ultimately I want Jesus to be noticed. And so if you're okay, are you okay if I just take a moment and I just pray for this time and um, join me, would you? Father, I just I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word that you've communicated to us your character and your love for us, and thank you for your spirit that you, you are present with us to continually communicate that love. And I thank you for the beauty of this story, Lord, that reminds us you don't give up on us even in, even in our brokenness, And even more than that, Lord, that you have beautiful plans ahead for us. So God, I pray as I share, Lord, uh, you would help me to be okay with not being noticed. And ultimately, Lord, uh, that your spirit would communicate exactly what you want each one of us to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, if you've been around for the last couple weeks, you know we've been in a series titled The Theory of More. And this series has sought to kind of discuss this belief system that the world has, this worldview that says that you have to have more, you have to do more, or you have to be more in order to have value or worth. And we've been discussing how the Bible kind of flips that system of thinking on its head and also how we are already endowed with worth by our Creator He loves us, even though he sees every inch of our lives, he loves us still. And so last week, if you were here, you heard Danny share a little bit about how Jesus uh, is communicated and demonstrated through this metaphor, the the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it becomes this powerful metaphor displaying Jesus's power, Jesus's regalness, Jesus's uh, kingly attributes. And the beautiful thing is, is Jesus is this true lion and that when we source our identity in him, the beautiful thing is is we get to be called lions. But Danny also mentioned that the devil is called a false lion, and that how, depending on where we source our identity, we either we either get to live out that true lion like identity or we live like a false lion. And then this week while we were in the offices, one of our staff members uh, told us about this story and we thought it was such a perfect continuation of this idea. How many of you have ever heard of the lion of Gripsholm's castle? Anyone here? No, okay, I didn't either. But this, this picture was so awesome to me. If you, in the 1700s, in about 1731, King Frederick I was gifted a pet lion it was like Tiger King, but 300 years ago, right? He, he literally had like a, like a majestic, powerful lion as his pet. And the cool thing is, is he actually really loved the lion. He, he developed quite a fondness for it. And, and tragically, a few years later, the lion died. And he loved the lion so much that he chose to have the lion stuffed. So that way the lion can stick with him forever. And he took, it, took the lion to a local taxidermist And unfortunately, the taxidermist had never seen what a lion looked like before. And so he stuffed it based on what he thought a lion might look like, and incidentally, this is what it turned into. (laughs) And uh, if this doesn't horrify you enough, take a look at the close-up shot, because if you were ever wondering what a lion with dentures would look like, that's it. (laughs) And I don't know if I'm more scared of that lion or a real lion, I'm just not sure. <laughs> but I felt bad for the taxidermist. How is he supposed to recreate a lion without ever having seen one? And I thought that this was such a great illustration of what people who walk into our churches in this country and, and in really the West, when they walk into our churches, and they're like, I wanna live out this lion-like identity, but we've never seen what a lion looks like. And so we end up making fake, most of the time, horrible imitations. And we ask people to live out of that. And one of the imitations I've seen, uh, honestly, as someone who didn't grow up going to church and became a believer a a little bit later on in life, is one thing I've noticed is that one of the ways that this false lion starts to show up is that under this Christian subculture, there is this inherent pressure that we feel to have it all together. To, to, To sand off all of our rough edges and we need to come into this building with all of our ducks in the row, and we can't have anything messed up in our lives, or at least we can't show anyone that. Uh, I just read an article this week uh, by Kerry Newoff, and he was uh, he was explaining uh, this phenomenon that's happening in, in the United States church where Gen Z, anyone born around the turn of the millennium, how they are, are going through this process called deconstruction, where they're deconstructing the church and their faith. And he's trying to understand why, and one of the biggest contributors as to why young people are deconstructing their faith. I just said young people as if I'm old. I'm not old, but <laughs> but one of these big factors for Gen Z is they're looking they 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 have a mistrust of the church as an organization. And not just like a church but all of the churches and one of the big reasons why is because men and women such as myself and I am just as much of a contributor to this as anyone else we stand up here and we make it look like we have it all together we make it look like we have all the answers and we never struggle with doubt and then when we inevitably fall or struggle they look at us and they're like you were dishonest Because even guys that sit in this chair with this mic feel this pressure to make it look like we have it all together. We have it all figured out. We're not broken. And can I tell you something? I am probably the most broken person in this room. This really started to come uh, into fruition for me. Uh, I became a a follower of Jesus when I was in high school, towards the end of my time in high school. I had this powerful encounter with Jesus and it radically changed my life. Like, I, I, I will go to my grave confidently believing I encountered the risen Jesus. And it changed everything for me. And instantly, I was like, Jesus, I don't know what it means to follow you, but I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life, whatever that means. And it led me to to diving into the church. And I became a member of this beautiful small church and I loved it. But one of the things that was just really present was this culture, that I had this encounter with Jesus, I showed up at the church and I was like, how do I continue to encounter that power? How do I continue to grow in my faith? And I was given a list of checklists of things to do. Make sure you're, you're reading your Bible 15 minutes a day, make sure you're praying, go through this study, do all of these things. And I was given that checklist. And by the way, all of those were really good things. Please hear me on that. They're not bad. But that checklist, if it's not in service of an intimate relationship, if it substitutes the relationship, then it's just all a performance. And so I ended up, repl- I ended up doing that checkbox. And I check, 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 go to that Bible study, do that devotional, go to that group, dive in, and I did all of it. I was good at it until I was in college and I got dumped, which for uh, a cripplingly insecure person like myself, devastated me. It totally shook the foundations of my life. And I remember one night I just was driving on my own and I ended up at Rocky Butte in Portland. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was at Rocky Butte and it was about 11 p.m. On a, on a frosty kind of foggy night in, in the fall. And I, sit on, I sat on the wall at Rocky Butte and for the first time in ages, I let God have it, all of it. I swore at him, I yelled, I laid into him. God, who, who do you think you are? and I didn't get zapped by lightning. But can I tell you what did happen? For the first time in years, this thirsty, dry soul encountered God's presence again. Encountered that power and it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks that Jesus didn't want more performance from me. He didn't want more check boxes. He didn't want want a pretty and plastic version of me. Jesus didn't want more of me. Jesus wanted all of me. He wanted all of me, even that part of me that was so broken and angry and insecure. Jesus was saying, would you give that to me? Because you know what we call that? When you are willing to show someone even the worst parts of you and let them love you still, do you know what we call them? We call that intimacy. And Jesus was like, finally, you are in an intimate relationship with me. And you know, the crazy thing is, is I thought, I I made a decision that day that I was just gonna be authentic to the best of my ability, and I was gonna be honest, and and I was never gonna try to be the guy that had it all together, and I failed at it a thousand times, by the way. But in the moments of my life, in the pockets of time where I've been the most authentic, and the most vulnerable, and the most broken, that's when i've seen god use me in the life of other people the most not when i have it all together but when i get to show people my brokenness and show them what god can do through it so i want to ask you today uh, where is god's power most clearly at work in our lives is it in us having it all together and when people walk in this room we look like we're all buttoned up is that where god's power shows up and we're going to look at the life of a guy that would say No, not even a little. We're going to get the chance to look at a guy's life who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament, who we get the chance to see his lifespan decades and who learned and lived out the very lesson that I'm trying to teach us today, which is this. God doesn't want us to be all put together. God doesn't want our performance. God wants all of us, even the broken parts of us. And when we live in light of that reality, we get to see how God uses our brokenness and nothing more clearly shows that power. And we're gonna look at the character of Paul. Now, really quick aside, I love the character of Paul. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but his name in Latin means small or little. So I picture a first century version of a guy with little man syndrome. You know, little man syndrome, where the guy who uh, is like five foot six and buys a huge Toyota Tundra and lifts it like six inches. (laughs) I'm not talking about myself, by the way. Um, But, Paul is like the first century version of that. He's this short little guy, probably wrestled with his own insecurities, and as a result, he ended up diving in deeply into the religious establishment of his day. He ended, up, like, he ended up being a young prodigy who was, who was growing in the ranks even as a young Jewish boy. He ended up becoming a Pharisee, which is super rare for a young man to do in, in first century Israel. He ended up being a guy who, who was super well-educated, trained under one of the most famous rabbis in the first century in the ancient world. He looked like he had it all together, so much so that he gained the respect of much older men in the Sanhedrin, which was like the Jewish Supreme Court of the first century for, for anything Jewish. Paul looked like he had it all together. He checked all the check boxes. It looked great. And he was so zealous to the point that he even was going to squash this movement known as Christianity because the the Jewish leaders were like, that's a threat to our way of life. And he went out of his way, he went above and beyond what anyone else was doing, so much so that he ended up being responsible for the first ever murder in the church, in the history of the church. And he didn't even lift a finger, by the way. That's how much people followed him. He could just hold their coats while they killed the guy. But then he ended up having a powerful interaction with Jesus and it changed his life. But the beautiful thing is, is Paul shares his understanding of his faith story six times in the New Testament. And each time there's a common thread, the common story that weaves through it all. But I wanna show us the differences today. Because I think as we progress through the timeline, we begin to see how early on he holds on to some of that pressure to have it all together and look like he's legitimate. And by the last time he shares his faith story, he realizes what actually shows the power of God. So we're going to hop into Second Corinthians chapter 11 to begin. And, and before I begin, Paul showed up at Cor- Corinth. It was a major metropolitan city in the Roman Empire. He, uh, it would be equivalent to our LA. It was an economic center and a cultural center. And Paul shows up there, spends a year and a half and ends up planting this church, this movement of people who are following Jesus together. And when he leaves to go plant another church, all of those outward influences of what it means to, to be a leader, what it means to, 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 to look awesome, what it means to ultimately be someone who God would actually use begins to seep into the church. And all of the folks in Corinth began to fracture over the fact that Paul does not look like what a leader should look like. He's not a great speaker. He's not rich. He doesn't have it all together. He's suffering a lot. A a good leader wouldn't do that. And so Paul, over several painful letters and painful interactions, ends up writing to this church. And it's one of the first times we hear his faith story, how, uh, how he would articulate it but what I want you to see here is he's now gonna play their game he's gonna play the game of okay you want me to give you my checklist you want me to give you my, my spiritual resume I'll do it and we see it in second Corinthians chapter 11 beginning in verse 17 where he says what am I saying with this boastful confidence I say not as the Lord would but as a fool since many boast according to the flesh I too will boast basically he's saying what I'm about to do here right now is not from God it's just from me I'm going to start playing this game where if you want me to show you that I have it all together, I'll show you what I've done. And he goes in verse 22, skipping ahead, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Check, 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 check. I have, I have all of the qualifications. I am legitimate. And he continues, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. That's not even a humble brag. That's just a brag. <laughs> Notice here, I am talking like a madman. He's like, I didn't want to do this. But if this is what you want, I'll show you. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Paul is showing here his his spiritual resume. He's sharing his story, demonstrating. Look at all the great stuff I've done. If you want me to look prim and proper and like I have it all together and like I've got it all figured out and I'm doing all of these cool things, I can show you that and over the next 10 verses he will talk about all the stuff that he's done for God how he's been beaten how he's been flogged how he's been shipwrecked how he's been put in prison he'll go through all of it and this isn't the only time that Paul feels that temptation to talk about his story and talk about the good parts of his story in order to gain rapport with people in Galatians chapter 1 which is the first ever letter Paul wrote in 48 AD. He says in Galatians 1 verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul here is literally like, let me show you my qualifications. He does it again in Acts 22 when he shares in front of all of the Jewish people dropping the name of Gamaliel who was his rabbi. And that would be like if someone here was like, "I, I learned under Einstein. That's how smart I am. It would be a huge name drop in the first century. And Paul shares a story to say, look at, all, look at how together I had it. He does it again in, in, in Acts 26. And then in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in my flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Let me show you how together I have it circumcised on the eighth day, which was what the law said in the Old Testament, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Check, 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 check. I've done it all. I've Done all the discipleship classes. I've done all of the, I've read through the the Bible multiple times. I, I have it all, I had it all together. And as Paul shares his faith story, the thing I want us to notice is, is not, again, as he shares it from 48 AD on, notice how it, it changes here. In Galatians, he, he leaves his resume as a means by which to show, I have the right to talk about this. In Acts 22 and 26, he does the same thing. But in Philippians three, which is towards the end of the last time he writes about his story, you know what he calls his whole resume? Garbage, it means nothing. And in 2 Corinthians 12, after he laid out the, I am a far better servant of Christ than any one of those people who are criticizing me, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, and if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Beginning in verse one, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Let me just begin, what man is Paul talking about? He's talking about himself. He'll tell us that in a couple verses. But really quick, I just the third heaven might trip some of us up here. Uh, There's not multiple levels of heaven or anything or multiple heavens, some of our Mormon friends um, use this verse as like a means of trying to argue that. Uh, From an ancient person's perspective in the first century, anything above you was the heavens. So the sky, as we would call it, would be the first heaven and then outer space would be the second heaven and then where God dwells is the third heaven. So Paul is saying here, I got to see where God lives. Whether I was there in person or not, I don't know. But anyone who gets invited into that space is legitimate. And Paul continues, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. He's saying, I saw some things. I have the right to speak. But his point here is, is that's not what shows the power of God. <laughs> and I know all of us feel that inherent temptation to say we have to have it all together. We have to make it look like it's the best version of us standing up here right now. And I know we think that that's what people need to see and hear in order to experience the power of God, but it's not. It's not and Paul will go into here as we will see the very thing that demonstrates God's power the very thing that will show people God working in our lives and we see it in verse seven so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. By the way, this wrecks my theology. <laughs> this wrecks my theology that God would allow a demon to torment Paul, just so he would keep things in proper perspective. That, that wrecks my theology. <laughs> what shows the power of God, it's not having it all together. It's not portraying an image that's not true. Do you know what actually shows God's power? When we are honest and vulnerable with him about the parts of our lives that aren't together and we let him enter that space and he begins to transform it. What I love about Paul here is he's saying there's perfection and weakness. There's perfection and weakness. That's what shows people, look at what God can do. Do you know what we call it, again, when somebody sees the worst parts of us and and we allow them to love us still? Intimacy. And it takes a radical humility to say, God, I am messed up. And I'm going to trust that you could do something with that. I mentioned to you that, that Paul shares his faith story six times in the New Testament. And we've talked about, uh, we read two of them. We've talked about the other three. But can I show you the last time Paul ever shares his faith story? The last time. It's, it's three years before he's executed in Rome for his faith. And he's writing to a young pastor he's mentoring. And what I want you to hear when he, when he tells Timothy his story is not, there's no mention of any resume, there's no mention of any qualifications, there's no mention of any of the good things he's done. Because I think as Paul has walked with Jesus, Jesus has shaved off any aspect of Paul that thinks that it's him who does, who brings that power. And he shows, let me show you where the real power comes from. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I think the more we walk with Jesus, the more this becomes our realization. The more we realize we never really had it all together to begin with but that God would still use our weakness and our brokenness and do amazing things with them. And that's what Paul does in verse 16. He recognizes this. Notice this, but for that very reason, the very reason that Jesus saved the worst of sinners in Paul, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Paul recognized it. He learned it at the end of his life. That all the things that he wanted to show to other people early on in his walk with Jesus, none of them mattered. And at the end of the day, it was him facing his brokenness, him facing being a violent man and a murderer. It was him facing those things that showed people that's the power of God, that God can transform that. Paul's story reminds me of another famous story I really love. I don't know if you know anything about John Newton. We have a, we have a portrait of him. I don't know how much you know about John Newton, but he was a part of the British Navy, and um, he ended up connecting with a slave trading uh, industry, and he became the captain of a slave trading ship that would kidnap people off West Africa, and, And he would go on to tell later in his life that he was responsible for the deaths of 20,000 slaves. And in the midst of his slave trading, he ended up encountering Jesus, and it changed his life. And he ended up joining the ministry, occupying a role much similar to my own. And in doing so, he was so, for so many decades, was ashamed of that story. He, He would rarely talk about it. And he ended up mentoring, uh, decades into his ministry, mentoring a guy named William Wilberforce. I don't know how many of you, that name rings a bell. But it was in finally being authentic and vulnerable about his brokenness, about the terrible things that he had done, about facing up to it and owning it and letting God do something with it, that God used William Wilberforce. You see, John Newton had encouraged William Wilberforce not to join the ministry, but to become a politician. And decades after John Newton's conversion, God used William Wilberforce, who was being mentored by John Newton, to end the slave trade in England, 75 years before the US did. What I love about this story is that wouldn't happen unless John Newton faced up to his brokenness, didn't hide it, didn't put out the best image of himself, but said, this is the terrible things that I've done. But look at what God can do through someone who is honest about it. The second thing that I think John Newton is probably the most famous for is that he ended up penning a song that probably is the most famous Christian song in history. It's the song Amazing Grace. But I want you to hear when when he writes the words Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me that's coming from a man who murdered 20,000 people. That's not fluff. That's a guy who's honest about, look at how messed up I am. But it shows how amazing God's grace is. And, and John, or John Newton ended up uh, passing away from dementia, and as it was uh, decaying his memories, uh, one of the last words he's known for uttering uh, his famous last words are this. I remember two things, uh, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. I think as we walk with Jesus over the decades, I think that's what becomes clear to us. It's not a resume. It's not even the version of us we want other people to see. It's those of us who who choose to let God show up in our brokenness and we display it. So I'm asking all of us to be honest about our brokenness today. I'm asking all of us to to be vulnerable. And I realize I haven't been very vulnerable or authentic. So I'm gonna do that. It might be a little uncomfortable. Um, I don't know how many of you knew, but um, my wife and I had our second daughter uh, about a month ago, and um, I think it'd be really easy for me to want to sit up here and tell you it's awesome. Super easy, kids are wonderful. By the way, I blame all of you who told me two kids is not that much harder than one. (laughs) It's really hard. And I'm dry and exhausted. And honestly guys, I'm not the kind of husband I wanna be right now. I'm not the kind of father I wanna be. And I'm not even the kind of pastor I wanna be. I feel like in every arena of my life I'm failing. But I sit in this space as someone who is confident that God's gonna do something with that. That God's gonna do something with that. And, and I just wanna end with this picture today. We've used this illustration here at Kesed before, but I think it's just such a perfect illustration. I, I don't know how many of you have heard of the art form Kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form uh, where the artist is trying to find beauty and brokenness. And so the artist will take these broken ceramic vessels, bowls, cups, all these things, and will patch it together with acrylic mixed with gold as a means to say there's something beautiful in brokenness. And each dish is unique and special. Shows how gifted the artist is. I don't know if you realize, but uh, someone last hour reminded me that this is really hard to repair that well, it's a very difficult craft. But I think this is what Jesus wants to do in our stories. That instead of hiding that brokenness or throwing it away, he instead wants to say, will you trust me with it? Will you let me patch and sew and seal up the most broken parts of us? And then eventually it will shine like gold. But it only starts with that radical humility that leads to that intimacy that says, God, this is the real me. But one day, I'm gonna be that dish shining. And each broken piece will be a story. We celebrated a couple weeks ago that Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus rose from the dead with scars. He didn't have to. He's God. He's powerful enough to say, let's seal up those holes. But he kept each hole. He kept the stab wound as a means of saying, look at my scars can point to the power of God. And so instead of hiding our scars, our wounds, our broken places, let's show the power of God. And then we can be a church full of vulnerable people who don't have it all together, but can offer people hope for what God can do if we trust him with our brokenness. So will you close your eyes with me for a second? And I know each one of us, the moment I bring up brokenness, uh, I know each one of us, uh, we, something flash in our mind. Maybe for some of us it's the fact that we cannot curb our addiction. And we keep having a losing battle and no one else knows. Maybe for some of us it's our marriage is not where it's supposed to be. Maybe for some of us in here, the pressures of school and extracurriculars are overwhelming us and, and we look happy on the surface and yet we're screaming in our pillow at night. Maybe for some of us it's just that, that, frankly, our mental health has never been worse. And we're tired of hiding it. I know each one of us had some form of brokenness that flashed into our mind. So as you have your eyes closed, I just really quickly want you to picture Jesus, whatever you think he looks like. And I want you to picture you have some physical form of brokenness in your hand. You have that broken vessel in your hand, shattered to pieces. And I want you to picture that Jesus is saying, will you give that to me? Will you surrender it? I know it takes a a mountain of courage and an ocean of faith. Will you give that to me? Will you trust me? Because I will transform that. Into something that you can't even imagine. And you will be amazed at how many people look at your story and find hope if you would trust me. Father, I thank you for for that, for the fact that, Lord, our brokenness doesn't scare you. You've known it all along. And yet, Lord, we feel this inherent pressure and temptation in our society and our culture to, to, to be more, to look like we have it all together, to perform for people, and you don't want any of that. You don't want more from us. You just want all of us. You don't want some image we curate to give to people. You just want us. And so God, I, I wanna pray today that we would start by just being radically humble and vulnerable with you and that we would honestly confess the parts of our lives that aren't what we thought they'd be and see what you would do through someone who would let you. And I pray, Lord, that as you seal and heal each of those wounds, that you would show us that you're patching it with gold to shine and ultimately to point to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: These pieces broken and scattered, in mercy gathered, mended and whole. Empty handed, but not forsaken, I've been set free, I've been set Sweet. See?
0: Wrote that song and faced up to his painful story and the worst parts of him He was just being honest he's being vulnerable radically vulnerable and radically humble but the powerful thing is I don't think he knew at that time that God was going to be able to use his story through that song and impact however many millions of people take that vessel and patch all the broken pieces, but it was only when he could be honest and vulnerable. And so I wanna encourage you, don't try putting out an image, God already knows, but he's inviting you to an intimate relationship. And there's a good chance that once you're honest with him, he'll lead you to be honest with someone else, to be real with what's actually happening. And so I'm gonna be up here if if God's prompting you to do that even with me, and I'd love to pray for you. But I bet you it's gonna be with someone. But I'm confident that this room will be full of those beautiful kintsugi vessels showing the the, the power of Jesus. So will you stand? I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have powerful stories of transformation in this room and it starts with us having an honest confession with you that we don't have it all together but thank you that you don't want more performance you don't want more check boxes you don't want a transactional relationship you want a real one and so i pray that this would be the start for many of us in here of a real vulnerable relationship and that you would help us change our lives change our communities in that authenticity And we pray this in jesus name Amen. Lord bless you all. We'll see you next week.